Campsite Media. Hello? What is the... What do you want what me to say? What is going on here? Like, oh, it's just, um... Chameleon. Chameleon. Okay. You're listening to Chameleon. A production of Campside Media. Oh. <laughs> hey, it's Vanessa. Do you remember studying ants in elementary school? Or middle school? Whenever that was? Ants live almost everywhere. If so, you may remember that every ant colony has a legion of workers. Those guys who do all the hard, thankless stuff. And then there's a queen, who's the only one in the colony able to lay eggs. This makes her the ultimate ruler, the most important ant of all. But it turns out she's not so special that she can't be imitated. Did you know that even a regular old caterpillar, an insect that looks nothing like an ant, can trick all the workers in that colony into thinking she's the queen? There's a particular kind of caterpillar that has evolved to make noises just like the ant queen. It also releases almost the same odor as ants, and ants communicate through odor. So the worker ants see this caterpillar as one of their own. But here's where it gets really wild. This caterpillar, the fake queen, expects the royal treatment even though she isn't a real ant queen. The worker ants made sure this faux queen got more than enough to eat. They might starve, but she wouldn't. Now that's the mark of a good imposter. And if you're really good at it, no one can tell the difference. This is Chameleon, the story of the Hollywood con queen. Chapter 5, Turning the Tables. Over the past four episodes, you've heard a lot about the victims of this incredible scam. Freelancers like Heather and Eddie and Anna and Omri, who saw a tremendous opportunity presented on a platter and went for it. But this week, we're going to look at the story from the perspective of some very different victims. The women in Hollywood who were actually being impersonated. These are very powerful people, producers and studio executives, who've managed to break into one of America's most notoriously sexist industries. Nicole, the private investigator, she'd been talking to them too. And so we just started picking up the phone and reaching out to these very high-profile women, usually, saying, uh, I know it's a, this is a strange call to get, but you may be impersonated in the near term by this individual who's, who's been doing this. It's interesting. You might think these producers and executives would want to know what was being done in their names, but not all these women were excited to hear from Nicole. Turns out some of them were wary of private investigators and the way they work in Hollywood. PIs in Hollywood are kind of a weird bunch. I've come across them a few times. They're pushy, almost like salespeople, and they call around soliciting work. So they'll call up potential clients and tell those people that they're being threatened or impersonated or whatever. And sometimes it's true, but sometimes they're making it up. Like they'll say to someone, oh, you have a stalker, you need protection, even if it's not true, just to make a couple bucks. But Nicole, of course, isn't like that. She's a professional and a meticulous one who was just trying to warn these women that something terrible was coming their way. If you want to be preemptive and protect your reputation, um, we can help you out. Within a few months, Nicole had recruited more than 10 of these powerful women as clients, all on a very high level. She can't tell us who they are specifically. That's confidential. But these are giants in their field. They've worked their entire careers trying to make a name in male-dominated fields. And then this person comes along and 
uses all of the awful stereotypes that people have about powerful women, and he employed them as part of his impersonation. So they were shrill and rude and hysterical and emotional. And having spoken to many of these women, none of them are actually like that. And they wouldn't have gotten to where they are if they were. And so it was hugely offensive to them. These powerful women represented a different side of the story, but they were definitely victims too. We wanted to know more about them and to hear how they felt about what had happened. So I went to see one of them in LA, Pasadena to be specific. All right, so we're driving up um, a road in Pasadena. Nice neighborhood, big houses. Um, headed we were trying to find the office of house. Deb Snyder. She is a very important producer married to a very important director named Zack Snyder, and they produce movies together. And turn I think- Turn right. No, I'm turning right. We're going further up the hill. You have reached your destination. Oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. That's the Angeles Crest Forest, I think. It's a gorgeous suite of offices, basically an entire modern house. The kind of place only a very successful producer would have. And exactly the kind of office I bet our con queen imagines when he's picturing the women he's impersonating. Anyway, I followed Deb to a private theater on the lower level where the Snyders screen their films. It was cool down there and a little dim. That's where we sat down to talk. My name is Deborah Snyder and I'm a film producer. It was never actually my intention to end up in features. I, I thought I would be working in advertising. I grew up in New Jersey and Hollywood seemed very far away. I worked a lot on like male-dominated commercials like uh, Miller Genuine Draft and Haviland Motor Oil. And actually, that's how Zach and I met on a soft and dry deodorant commercial. <laughs> Extra protection goes on clear. He was a director? <laughs> he, was a, he was a director, yeah, because we both started in commercials. At the time, Zach was just getting started in the directing world. We started dating. Uh, we got engaged. I, I lived in New York until we got engaged because I didn't want to give up my rent control department. <laughs> so, Very New York story. <laughs> so um, I came out here and my intention was that I was going to be just uh, freelancing and advertising. But then Zach had this massive unexpected success. He had just made his first film, which was Dawn of the Dead. And he had the script that he wanted to do for 300. 300 was your first movie, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and a tremendously successful first movie. Like. <laughs> it was a good first movie. This is where we hold them. Deb's being modest. 300 was a giant hit, a phenomenon, and a really innovative piece of filmmaking, styled almost like a graphic novel come to life. It's the story of a small contingent of Greek soldiers, 300 Spartans to be exact who made a heroic stand against the Persian army during the Battle of Thermopylae in 480 BC. Actually, it's a movie you heard a little bit about in chapter one, because the trainer who got Eddie into the business is the same one who got the stars of 300 super ripped. It was a huge success, but it had been a hard movie for the Snyders to get made. Ironically, no one wanted to make the movie. You know, no one understood what it was, and there was a little bit of sword and sandals fatigue at the time. The Snyders went on to be one of the biggest producing duos in Hollywood. You know, for us, it's a family affair. We're a director and producing team. I've produced movies like Watchmen, Wonder Woman, Man of Steel. 
time you learn what it means to be a man. Some small indie films. Small, <laughs> small films. We're talking the world's biggest superhero movies. Not the kind of movies that Hollywood women usually produce. Muscly men in spandex, terrifically unsubtle bad guys, lots of masks. The way it works for the Snyders is that Deb produces and Zach directs. I asked her to help me understand what a producer really does. It's kind of a mysterious role in the movie ecosystem. There are many types. So many that it's kind of a running gag around town. Everyone gets a producer title. But true producers are critical. They raise money for films, they help put together teams, they handle all sorts of unseen problems. Like an actor needing to go to rehab in the middle of a shoot. They're as critical to a movie as the director, especially on Deb's level. You literally can't make a movie without a producer like Deb. I believe a producer's job is to get the director's vision to the screen and to do it on time and to do it on budget and make that script come alive. But we wear so many hats. Sometimes you're a social worker. Um, sometimes, you know, you're a sergeant. Um, uh, you kind of manage any problems that happen on the set. We really live and breathe the films. Sometimes you're away for a year. You know, when we were doing Batman versus Superman, we were in Michigan for an entire year. Deb would be the first to admit that for all the long hours, many hats, and time away from home, it's pretty much a dream job. However, about two years ago, in 2018, word started to get back to Deb that someone out there was pretending to be her, on calls and in emails. At first, it seemed small, just kind of annoying. I was like, oh my God, they're impersonating me. There must be, they must be trying to like, they're gonna open up you know, credit cards or take a trip somewhere or buy like something. And I was like, can you just notify all the credit bureaus and everything? That's where I went. But it just kept happening. I think it was a two month period where once or twice a week, another person was being targeted. And it only got worse. One day, someone in the casting department at Warner Brothers called. It was a woman who'd worked with Deb on movies. She said, ah. Listen, I just got this really strange email from these other casting directors saying that you called them and the conversation turned really inappropriate and they, they thought it was just really strange. The fake Debbie uh, wanted to do casting sessions and like saying that I was casting um, Gotham City Sirens which is not a movie, I assume. Is not a movie. I, it might be listed as a TV show. Soon, other industry colleagues were checking in with her too. They'd also heard stories about these weird things Deb was doing. I got a call from another producer friend of mine, and she had been working in Louisiana. So there was an armorer who also does security. An armorer is a maker of weapons and armor. And for Hollywood, they also make the fake swords and guns. Sometimes these guys also do security work. So she said, oh my God, I'm just about to get on the phone with Debbie. Do you have any pointers for me? Or can you, you know, put in a recommendation after? Can you call her? And she goes, first of all, I, I just saw her last week and I don't think she's going to Louisiana for anything. And B, I don't think she would be calling you. Like the line producer would be calling you. Line producer is Hollywood speak for the on the set nuts and bolts producer the person who handles logistics and manages the budget. Nobody would bother someone like Deb with details like this. But again, it just kept happening. Deb was getting calls from people who believed they'd heard from her. People Deb had never actually contacted, but who'd been convinced it was her on the phone. 
It seems to come in waves. They called an actor on Christmas Day. And I go, first of all, Hollywood shuts down for two weeks during Christmas. <laughs> if anyone knows that, like, who's calling anyone on Christmas Day? Plausible or not, the stories coming back to Deb were horrible, like the ones you've already heard. Industry strivers, people who had spent years trying to break into film and TV, had been offered jobs in Deb's name and then had their hopes dashed. Deb was sick about it. These things the fake Deb was saying, they seemed so unlike her. Deb, the real one, is the type of woman who cares about helping others, particularly women. But the fake Deb, the one doing these impersonations, was a stereotype of the kind of harassing, abrasive, powerful woman that men imagine. Exactly the kind of woman Deb Snyder isn't. As a woman, listen, for me, I, I've sat in the room so many times where I'm the only woman at the table, and I'm very comfortable with that but I don't want it to be like that. Um, I would like to see more women around the table. Uh, in particular, I want to see more women when I'm on set in roles that maybe there aren't a lot of women right now. Maybe the movie Deb is proudest of is Wonder Woman, the first major superhero film with a female lead. Oh, I don't think you've ever known a woman like me. Wonder Woman had a female director too. It was a hit at the box office and got rave reviews. Suddenly, Deb was a bigger deal than ever, even without Zach. To be able to hire the first female director to do a big blockbuster tentpole film was something that was super important to me, and that movie was important to me, because it was also a really empowering um, female figure. And having those two things uh, kind of culminate was, was just a magical, really special moment in my career. And I'm so lucky to have a, a partner in my husband, who believes that too, and is not intimidated by strong women. Deb was already a star producer, but Wonder Woman got her to another level, where she was working on her own terms, the kind of producer most people fear. But still, she couldn't stop these weird calls. I've had so many people who have come forward, and they don't even know how to reach out to me necessarily. They've reached out to my business manager or my attorney or our agent and said, hey, I got this weird call. It's, at first we thought it was real, and then things went sideways. But I bet you there's a lot of people, like if they've lost money or if they got on this really weird call, maybe they thought it was really me. There was something else too. This fake Deb was attacking both Snyders by spreading rumors that Zach, who in real life is a famously nice guy, was abusive. So it would be about, oh, training in the movie, but then it would turn into this, well, I need, you know, you, I need to protect my assets. I need protection from, you know, whoever. Sometimes she would mention I needed protection from my husband. As the stories piled up, Deb Snyder's revulsion only grew. She wasn't going to just sit back and watch her reputation, this thing she worked so hard to establish, get trashed by some random weirdo. And she was ready to do something about it. We'll hear exactly what after the break. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts.
Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. As more stories tarnishing Deb's name came pouring in, she decided she should probably tell Warner Brothers, her film studio, what was happening. Immediately, private investigators working with the studio began looking into the matter. And then there was a bit of a break in the case. The break came through some guys who were actually connected to Eddie, that trainer we started the whole show with. Specifically, it came through other fitness trainers who were in the same orbit as Eddie. Now, you might think that Deb wouldn't have too much to do with trainers, given her lofty position. Deb's job, as I've said, is to oversee pretty much everything on set. The buck stops with her. And on a superhero movie, it's really important that the actors get in top shape. So she often helps pick these trainers to support actors and whip them into shape. And Deb often worked with the same trainer who had contacted Eddie and gotten him to go to Jakarta. That trainer from 300, Mark Twight. I'm Mark Twight, and at Jim Jones, we train top-tier athletes, we train military, and we have a reputation for training the occasional Spartan and superhero. We talked about Twight in our first chapter. He's arguably the go-to guy for big action stars. And he was a big help to up-and-comers like Eddie. Mark's been a great mentor of mine and a friend of mine for years, and someone that I can trust with stuff. He's helped, you know, he's talked me through a lot of negative times in my life, stuff like that. Mark's great. So, Mark Dwight is among the most revered trainers in the industry, and Deb has witnessed what he can do firsthand. With him in charge on the 300 set, Zach didn't need to do CGI on the actors' bodies to make them look like superheroes. He just needed Mark. Did he make Gerard Butler look like that? He did make Gerard Butler look like that and all the rest of them, and it wasn't CG abs. We didn't have that money? (laughs) So those were real Mark Dwight abs? Those were real Mark Dwight abs. (laughs) Anyway... How this all connects back to Deb is a little complicated, so bear with me. What happened is that the scammer was trying to get trainers to come to Indonesia, and he'd focused in on Mark Twight. I think because if you're looking to target guys who train actors, he's an easy name to find. And anyone can go online to IMDb and see who else he's worked with. But at this point, the con queen was not pretending to be Deb Snyder. He was pretending to be Dee Backish. Remember, she's the wife of the head of Viacom, the woman that we heard all about from Eddie back in Chapter 1. I get a call from Mark saying, hey, we've got this uh, lady, Dee Backish. She's got a movie. She's branched out into being in production, all this stuff, producing this movie. But the con queen loves to drop names, right? Of all sorts of people that he thinks are important. And when the fake Dee asked Mark to come to Indonesia for her epic Tiger Girl in the Jungle project, she mentioned that she'd heard about Mark from a friend. And that friend was Deb Snyder. I get this email from Mark Twight, and he said that um, I recommended him to Dee Backish um, when she had a conversation with me. I wrote him back and I said, we've been doing a lot of like Q&As and a lot of mixers with a lot of people. She might have come up to me, but I, but not specifically. Like, I don't remember it. And he was like, this just seems strange. And I didn't really think anything of it at the time, you know. Could have been, or could have, or, you know, some people just like to make things up. It it is Hollywood. 
Ultimately, our scammer couldn't get Dwight on his hook. But posing as Deb, he used Mark Dwight as a flashy lure and dropped his name to get smaller fish on the hook. By that, I mean less well-known trainers, like Eddie. Or another guy who was important to Deb Snyder's story, John Free. You're about to hear him on a pretty incredible piece of tape we got. Getting this tape was a big moment for Vanessa and me. It was the first time we were really able to hear the scammer at work, expertly manipulating a mark. Hi, hi, hi. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm so sorry. I was uh, kind good. of running errands. No, no, no. I'm, I'm always sporadic when I like the energy and the conversation. So I go back to it and uh, just sort of rekindle. Okay, so can we have a small kind of chat right now, given the circumstances? with uh, just low battery and me being in a park. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm, I, I, whatever, whatever's easiest for you. You know, first thing we do is when we ask someone in an interview what their expectations are, it would be money. What is your expectation of that? Honestly, like I would do uh, 10 grand a month. Ten, that's it? Okay. Because, <laughs> okay. Then you'll be happy to note it's, you know, it's five times the amount a month. Fake Deb, our scammer, she's almost putting John down there, but in a way that was likely to help pull him in. Deb was ready to pay him much more than he expected, but she wanted John to decide right away if he was taking the job. I'm a little at loss for words because I'm, I'm flattered. Uh, I, I hope that I can deliver on what you're asking for. Um, Don't be at a loss for words, please. I, I, Cut that out. It, it's, it's... Let's not talk about being flattered. I'm asking, are you, would you be able to do this? I, I believe, I believe so. I believe so. Just a yes or no. I like confident people, as you know. I, I honestly, I believe so. Um, you know, I, there's... Would the, you be the right person for me, yes or no? Yes. Okay, we'll leave it as that. It sounds like John is really falling for the scam. But if you listen closely, he also sounds a little off. Stilted, maybe. And that's because he's only pretending to be on the scammer's hook, truly interested in this opportunity of a lifetime. He knows full well it's not really Deb Snyder. The real Deb explains it to us. One of Mark Twight's disciples, John Free, who, you know, uh, kind of worked with him for a while, um, we have a mutual friend, and we ended up in Italy for a week together with a group of people. I called John, who lives in Portland, to get his side of the story. He was excited to talk. I mean, it's safe to say you were friends with the Snyders? Uh, I, I'd love to say <laughs> I was friends with the Snyders. I would, <laughs> I, would, I would say acquaintances would be probably a better word. Like, they know who I am. Um, they, I would say they were friends with my client. His client, singular. John isn't a famous trainer, but he's an elite one. He trains one extremely rich, extremely connected client who we aren't able to name. This anonymous billionaire tracked John down through one of the Snyder's movies. I was contacted in 13 by uh, an individual who was interested. He had seen Zack's Man of Steel movie. was like, well, wait a second. I've been doing P90X for five years. I don't look like Henry Cavill. What did Henry Cavill do to look like that? And <laughs> what do I need to do to look like that? <laughs> of all the Supermans over the years, actor Henry Cavill was probably the most ripped version having first appeared in those blue tights in Zack Snyder's 2013 film, Man of Steel. And Cavill got there thanks to Jim Jones, where John Free, like Mark Twight and Eddie, had worked. 
Training Stars, it turns out, is a small world. The client was friends with the Snyders, who were friends with Dwight. So when John got the call from the fake Debbie, he knew where the real one was. This individual was representing that Debbie was in London. And I was aware that Zach was working on his new project with Netflix in New Mexico. You know, he'd been posting uh, photos from this, the shoot on um, Vero True Social. And so you could kind of see all the fun stuff he was doing there. John got in touch with Debbie, and Debbie knew immediately what this was. They're getting a little sloppy because she started to contact people that we actually knew more than they thought we knew. Realizing an opportunity that they might be a step ahead of the scammer, John and Deb started working together. It turns out that in the state of Oregon, you don't have to have someone's permission to record their voice, which is unlike California. For once, maybe for the first time since the con queen went to work five or six years ago, someone else had the upper hand. John would also be play acting and could record their calls. He wanted to help Deb track the imposter down, or maybe he could even set up a meet in person. And then, well, first things first. Here's the con queen and John talking again. She's telling John that she needs a special hire for her new film, that ridiculous one we told you about earlier. Gotham City Sirens. So I would like a technical advisor that could sort of safeguard the assets, which is myself and, and obviously the project. You okay, know, okay. And double up as a combat consultant with certain actors for certain parts. Okay. Yeah. So the special advisor is a technical advisor combined with a security person to safeguard her and a combat consultant for actors. This is definitely not a job that exists. I don't know if you do, but I get a very, you know, I, I, I respond quickly to, 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 you know, good energy. And um, I'm also looking for someone who can work with me. Okay. Um, as, a, as a sort of kind of a trainer, would, do you want something like that? I, yes I, no? Absolutely, I would be interested, Debbie. Like, I'm, I'm flattered. Um, I guess my, my bottom Fake line Deb is making it clear to John that she wants to have a very close working relationship with him. Technically speaking, it's the partnership, right? Uh, like, yes, yes. Well out, said, well said, well said. The trainer, a lot of people tend to blame uh, trainers, whereas, you know, it's their, their job essentially to to do their homework and, and really be aware of their responsibilities. Um, she was even willing to fly him around. No, I have a, like a private island in the Caribbean, and then, you know, I'll go stateside a few places, and then St. Moritz. But not every day. I mean, not every week. Not every month. She also told John that she really wanted him because this was a big moment in her life. You know, all my life now, I've been in the shadow of Zach and behind the scenes, really behind the scenes, uh, I will be now front and center. Fake Deb is showing her hand a little revealing, I think, what it was she was getting psychologically from the call. We will chat some more tomorrow. Please spare time, some time for me. I have to talk to you earlier because this is what I needed to say after speaking with you. I could hear how humble and excited you were to get a call from us. And really, you could feel that. And that's exactly what I wanted to, to hear. Listening to this weird business call between the fake Deb and John, I felt that I really understood the depravity of the con artist for the first time. He's clearly getting off on power and control. And please, again, I would prefer 
this to be confidential and kept private. Yeah, excellent. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take Thank care. you. Have uh -huh. a good evening. My name is John Free, and this call was recorded in Portland, Oregon on Friday, July 19th, 2019. Uh, the phone call came from country code 44-7916-783810. I just finished a phone call with someone posing as Debbie Snyder. Uh, it sounds like I will be hearing from Debbie tomorrow with more details. Perhaps we will be scheduling our trip to the Caribbean, her private island, we'll see. We'll get back to this tape and a lot more after the break. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. You're listening to Chameleon from Campside Media. Just before the break, we were listening to the tape John Free made of the fake Deb Snyder. Do you know where I first heard this tape? At the real Deb Snyder's office. She pulled out her laptop and played it for me, down in that home theater. I mean, I think it's weird when you hear a recording of someone who is pretending to be you when they sound nothing like you and they act nothing like you. And it's kind of an over-the-top performance, if you ask me. Um, I think like, wow, this person has spent a lot of time researching me. Maybe this person gets off talking about themselves. Like, she's not self-deprecating, that's for sure. You know, it's, it's all about how wonderful and powerful. So maybe it's the power, or maybe it's the game of the deceit. And I guess in some world, I have a, a Midwestern accent, and I say <laughs> darling a lot. So Deb sounds amused, but at the time, she was pissed. She encouraged John to keep the scammer on the hook to see how much information they could get about his identity and whereabouts. Maybe they could catch him and stop this con once and for all. He was hoping that they would arrange a meeting. He waited a day, and then when the con queen called back, John had his recorder ready. Oh, hi, John. How, How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. Did you get a good night? Well, good night's sleep. She was friendly at first, but so, then started pressuring him. Uh, but are you my guy, yes or no, for this? Yes. I will need a little bit of ramp down time to, I'm not just going to drop my other people. I believe in, okay. you know, they're important to me, their family also. I love you for that. God and bless so, you for that. You're, again, another rock star. 
But um, having said that, are you open to having twice or three times a week uh, for our, you know, our little thing, our personal thing? The personal thing, meaning the one-on-one special fitness advisor, some kind of creepy step beyond trainer thing. Fake Deb is testing John, probing for an opening to see how far he's willing to go. In general, yes. I'm sure there might be the occasional week where I, you know, I can only do two. I'm sure there'll be weeks where you're busy with your schedule that, you know... No, 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 I get that. If it was just me and you, what do you feel? I mean, how do you feel, like, just spending time, alone time with me? What is that emotion that invokes in you? It invokes a sense of respect and... uh, Don't forget the respect. Um, Thank you, though. But, I mean, what... what, uh, Thank you for that, but forget the respect at this point. Then they started talking about contracts. No, it's it's all talk at this point until I see a contract. Great. I didn't like the fact that you said it's all talk now. <laughs> no, well, I thought you said yesterday you respected and trusted. She began to pull away. No, you sound different from yesterday. You know what? It's fine. Forget about the personal. I apologize. I don't want to offend you in any way. Um, John, it seems like the personal is not something you'd want to do. Um, I can sense it. You know, it's like, it's a change of mind, I think. Um, but I could hear that in you. Uh, I don't, I don't know what you're feeling or sensing. Um, I, I will say I've got to get on the plane Monday and will be, um, fairly unreachable for about a week. And I'm sure you can access email, but, um, what I'm saying is that for the personal thing, I think we should just drop it because I believe that you don't feel comfortable anymore. Just now as I seem to talk to you, you seem a little distant. Um, uh, well, I, I, I'm not going to argue with your feelings. I, I know how I feel about it, but I'm also not, you know, you're, you're, you pride yourself on being very perceptive and picking the right person for the right role. And if I'm, it's not me, I'm disappointed, but uh, I also have to default to your expertise. Yeah, but may I ask why? What happened between uh, yesterday and today? Uh, nothing happened, Debbie. I, I, you just sent something different. I'm not sure John realized it at the time, but he was starting to sound a little too cocky. So anyways, you got to go in with your military guys right now, right? So we're going to talk to you. Should I still call you in two hours? Would that work? Um, yeah, I will, I will, I will just tell them I need a break in two and that I will, uh, Are you sure? I, I will make it work, Debbie. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Just finished my second call with Debbie Snyder herself. No talk of the private island today. I'm a little disappointed. So yeah, tune in, uh, two hours. Except that the fake Debbie didn't call back. John never heard from her again. She's very careful when she talks. And, you know, it seems like, I think when they think that you're onto her or him or like, then all of a sudden it, it goes cold and then that's it. Because I think she thinks that you're, you're catching on. Fuck the what's next, go and cash your bad checks. <laughs> Next time on Chameleon, there's one thing about those phone calls with the con artist that we haven't told you about yet. This all feels like wrong and like, I felt gross every time I walked away from the phone. Chameleon.
Chameleon is a production of Campside Media. It's developed, created, and written by Vanessa Gregoriadis and me, Josh Dean. The executive producer is Mark McAdam. Our associate producer is Abakar Don. Additional field producing in Los Angeles by Monique Laborde. Fact-checking by Callie Hitchcock. Archival research by Megan Shoup. Editorial support by Doug Slaywin, Natalia Winkleman, and Ashley Ann Krigbaum. Our technical consultant is Ben Decker of Memetica. Our theme song is Bad Checks by Houses. Sound design and additional music by Mark McAdam. Our consulting producers are Andy Horowitz at Atlas Entertainment and Charles Mastro Pietro at Circle of Confusion. The executive producers at Campside Media are me, Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, Adam Hoff, and Matt Scher. If you enjoyed Chameleon, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps other listeners like you find the show. And make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any information about the Con Queen scam or were a victim and would like to share your story, please call 203-807-4453. You can also email us at chameleonpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Start a new life where you play dead.